Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pirkei Avos podcast. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn, where we live with the ethics of the Torah. If you have any questions or comments or you'd like to say hello, please feel free to reach out to me at Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with a K at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. For this week, we continue with Chapter 6, Mishnah 9. So again, that's Perek Vav, Mishnah Tes. And we're closing in on the final Mishnahs of Perkyavos, or really this last parak, as we explained, the last chapter was really a, an addendum to, to Perkyavos, but we're finishing up with a few more Mishnahs to go. And God willing, we will be finished the whole Perkyavos, which is really amazing. So for this week, I want to start with the Mishnah. I'm going to read through it and we'll try to get some understanding of the story that the Mishnah relates to us and different lessons we can take out to apply to our own lives. Amr Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma. Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma said, Pamachas. One time, Hayisi mahalech baderech. I was walking on the road. Upaga bi adam echad. And I bumped into a certain man. A certain man met me. Binasan li shalom. He he's saying the story that when I when I saw this man, when he saw me, he uh, said hello. He said shalom. shalom. And I gave him back a greeting of shalom. So this man approached Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma. He greeted him. And Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma returned the greeting. So he said, this, this man who was speaking to Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma, Amr Lee, he said, Rabbi, Rabbi, from which place are you? Where you come from? Amartilo, I told him, He says, I'm, I'm from a great city of scholars, of Torah scholars, and from sages, from Torah sages. Amarli, this man said back to Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi, Rabbi, Ritsainacha, Shetadar Imanu, Bimakaimenu, Vani Etein Lacha, Elef, Alafim, Dinre Zav, Avonim Toivis, and Margalius. He made him an offer, an offer he couldn't refuse. He said to him, He said, Rabbi, would you be willing to live with us in our place, in our city? I'll give you thousands and thousands of golden dinars, which are coins, precious stones, and pearls. Come join us. He obviously recognized that Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma was a great sage, a great Torah scholar. And he wanted him to join him in his city. He can be an asset to the community. Amarti Loya, I said back to him, Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma said, Even if you're going to give me all the silver and gold, and all the precious jewels in the world. I'm only going to live in a place of Torah. So I'm not moving. And we're going to explain a little bit what this means, a place of Torah, the importance of that. And Rabbi Yosef and Kisma continues. And he brings up, he brings verses from the Torah, from Tehillim, from other sources 
that back of his claim, because Rabbi Yossi said, he said, I'm only going to live in a place of Torah. I'm not going to live where you're from because it's not a place of Torah. Whatever that means, we're going to discuss. As it says, right, as, as King David says in, in Tehillim, it says, it says, I prefer the Torah of your mouth above the thousands in gold and silver. This is a, a, a verse in Psalms. So again, I prefer the Torah of your mouth more than gold and silver, from thousands of gold and silver. And he brought another verse. He said, even furthermore, he says, that it's, it's not just this. He says that you're trying to give me money to move to your community, to, to be, the, to be in the rabbi there. I don't want it because even if you give me money, what's it going to do for me? Because we said, the mission it says, that when a person departs from this world, neither silver nor gold nor precious stones nor, nor pearls go with him. Ella, what does go with a person when he leaves this world? Right? His money doesn't go with him. But what does go with him is only the Torah that he studied and the good deeds that he did. And that goes with him. As it says, when you walk, it shall guide you. When you lie down, it shall guard you. And when you awake, it shall speak on your behalf. Right? When it says in the verse, when it says in Proverbs, that when you, when you walk, it, it, will, it shall guide you. It's referring to Ba'ilam Hazeh. Referring to this word world, and when it says, When you lie down, it shall guard you. It's referring to when someone passes on into the next world. When it says, And when you awake, it shall speak on your behalf. It's referring to the next world. So he brings down a verse in Proverbs that shows that what, what's really truly valuable to a person is his Torah and his mitzvos. The Omer, and he brings one more verse. It says, Hashem As it says in, in, in Chagai, mine is the silver and mine is the gold, says Hashem, master of legions. So it's an interesting story we have over here. We have an incident where Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma is walking on the way and someone greets him. And we have this back and forth conversation about living in a place of a Torah. He makes him an offer to move for tons of money, an offer he can't refuse. And he refuses it because to him, what was important was living in a place of Torah and not just money. Because even if he has money, money doesn't come with him. It's not going to come with us to the next world. And he brought verses to, to back up his point to, as to what he was saying. So the first point, which I want to, you know, there's a lot of ideas here. The first thought I wanted to really just discuss was the placement of this Mishnah. And many times, you know, we know, I try to make a connection from one Mishnah to the next. And the commentaries explain that the reason why this Mishnah is placed strategically here is for an important lesson. If you remember from last time, <clears throat> We discussed the benefits of, of, I guess, 
physical traits. For example, we discuss beauty, strength, wisdom, wealth, right? All these things can be positive if they're used in the right way, if it's um, used properly, if, if we have, you know, more than just good intentions, but we channel it in the right direction and we use it well. So then, you know, beauty is a compliment, right? We discussed the, this concept that the Torah talks about the beauty of the matriarchs, but we know at the same time, beauty is also vanity. So what's, how did we, and we answered that when, when, when beauty is a reflection of the inner beauty, then it's, then it's a, a um, praiseworthy, but when it's just physical beauty in of itself, it's nothing. But the idea is, is that in last Mishnah, we were stressing this, this idea that when it comes to certain physical traits and physical, you know, benefits or, you know, um, or different physical abilities or properties such as wealth and wisdom, they all, they're only positive if they're used in the right way. And the Mishnah is teaching us an important lesson that even if they can be used in a proper way and they, they, we have the ability to channel them in the right direction, it still has limitations. Because a person, this Mishnah teaches us that, you know, these qualities, we can't sacrifice the Torah to gain these qualities. Meaning the point is, is that no matter how good our intentions are to use strength, use wisdom, use wealth, you can, we can never sacrifice the, the Torah and the mitzvos for, to gain them. The Torah and learning Torah and doing mitzvos, that has to be number one on our priority list. After that is number one, so then any other things can come into place. But to make everything else number one, even with a lofty purpose of sanctifying these physical traits and physical qualities is not something which is correct and not the correct outlook. So therefore, this Mishnah, which talks about living in a place of Torah, it's, it's our focus, our central focus is, is listed after the last Mishnah. So now what I really wanted to get into here was the story. So you have this story and there's a lot of interesting questions that the commentaries ask about the back and forth and the wording of, you know, each one of the parties, Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma and this man, who was this man? Um, he just met him on the way. There's a lot of different pieces that are discussed by the commentaries. And I wanted to, to, to focus on the, the commentary of the Maharal. The Maharal is known for a lot of times very esoteric explanations of different um, areas of Torah. We're not going to get so esoteric tonight. I just want to give maybe his outlook on the story and his how he dissects the 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 Mishnah and the, the story that Rabbi Yosef relates. So Moral says, based on analysis of the story, he says he brings out many more details to light than what's listed in the Mishnah. So how he begins is that Rabbi Yosef was very engrossed in learning. He must have been focusing on his learning and and nothing, he did not notice this man, right? As we said, that the man greeted him first. He didn't notice him. It was only after he was greeted by the man did he return the, the greetings back to him and start the conversation. Right away, this man noticed from his response how, and how he was engrossed in his Torah studies that he was a Torah scholar. 
And he knew that he would he wouldn't just be able to get him to move to a city that easily. He would have to, you know, make an offer. He would have to put an effort to persuade him to join him in in the place where he lived. Rabiosi, being the great man that he was, saw this man's intention right from the get-go. And right away when he answered him, he told him, he said, right? He said, where do you live? He said, I live in a place of Torah. He, he saw already where this man was, what he was trying to do. He said, I, I, I live in a place of Torah. And even if you're going to offer me anything, it's not going to work. The man, the man persisted. And he said, I'll, I'll, you know, come join us, live with us. He said, live with us. He didn't say lead us. He says, be with us, be our friends. So Rabbi Yossi saw that, the, that he, this man and the community that he was from wasn't interested in a Torah leader and in a leader to join them as a community. And wasn't interested in, in, in Rabbi Yossi joining them as a leader, but rather he was looking for a resource for his community. He, he wanted, maybe it, it could have been if, if they were, if they were looking for someone to lead them, Rabiosi would have accepted. But rather, since they were just looking for someone to, to ask advice from, they weren't necessarily looking for someone to help them be the best they can be, Rabiosi refused. Now, I want to just focus on this concept of living in a place of a Torah. What does this mean? What does it mean, Makom Torah, to live in a, in a city of Torah, and why is it necessary to live in a place of Torah? So, like, so that's the two questions I want to discuss. Number one is, what is a makom Torah? What is a, a, a what is this concept that Rabbi Yossi Ben Kisma was saying? Is it does it mean someone lives in um, Williamsburg? Does it mean where is it? Does it mean you live in Lakewood? Does it mean you live in uh, Jerusalem? What is a city of Torah? And number two is. Why is this necessary? Why was he so adamant about where he can, where he should live? Why was it so important to him, right? It maybe would have been good. He could have taken this money. He obviously, and I actually saw this, and some of the commentaries say that one of the reasons why Rabbi Yosef Kisma was traveling to begin with was because he was looking for a livelihood. They say he was very poor. He was a Torah scholar. He was very poor, and that's why he was on the road. He was looking for some type of form of, of, of sustenance. And maybe it could have been good for him to, to take this position in this city. He would have been, a, he would have had plenty of money. He could do a lot of good things with that money. He could start organizations. He could give money to charity. Maybe he should have taken it. Why was it so, why was he so adamant that I have to live in this place of Torah? So those are two questions I want to discuss with everybody tonight. So to bring this out, there's two thoughts I want to bring out. And then we'll discuss it a little more. So we know that a chameleon is one of the traits that makes it so distinct, right? Everyone knows that it changes colors. A chameleon, based on its environment, it has the ability, Hashem gave it this trait, this not trait, but it has the, it's able to change colors from one to the other to, I guess, to, um, to match in to 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 disguise itself in its in in its habitat to blend in to not be noticed and people 
are also like chameleons to a certain extent. And this could be for good and for bad. Because depending upon who we spend our time with and where we live, that will have a tremendous impact on what type of life we lead. What are our values? What is important to us? What you know, do we do and not do, right? Certain social norms of people, right? Certain social norms of people will be determined by the neighborhood, by the area you live in. Now, when it comes to the Torah and, and I guess doing mitzvos, it's, you know, once we understand this first concept that people have chameleon-like tendencies, it's not a bad thing, right? It could be a good thing also, right? If someone lives in a bad neighborhood, People have bad values and bad morals, and they're not good examples. So there's a very high chance that they're going to also turn out that way. And on the flip side, the good side, when you when you live next to people who are good people and you, you associate yourselves with people who have good morals and good values, there is a very good chance you're going to turn out good. And I'm sure we can think of people ourselves that maybe they weren't bad people, but they just got in with the, with the wrong group of people. And once they're in that wrong group of people, they never look back. It was like a, um, they got taken, swept away. So that's one reason why it's important to live in a place of Torah, because when we live in a place of Torah, talking about good morals, good values. This is the word, this is what Hashem wants, right? It's being connected to the Torah, having a value system, doing mitzvos, which is all like we mentioned last time, that it's for this world and for the next world. But it's more than just that, because, you know, obviously there's positive peer pressure. There's, peer pressure goes both ways. You have negative peer pressure and you have positive peer pressure. So when you're around good people, you'll be pressured, I guess, not pressured literally, but my point is you'll feel a push to do more good in your, when you're around bad people feel a push to do things that are maybe not so appropriate. But it's it's not just living, you know, living in a place of Torah doesn't necessarily mean, you know, just living in a place where everyone is doing the same thing. Um, the definition of a Makkum Torah, like I, we asked before, what does that mean? What does that mean, a Makkum Torah? Does it mean, you know, does that mean a very religious place? So the based on my understanding and how we're understanding this Mishnah, it doesn't just mean a place where everyone is uh, very religious. That's not what it means. Because you could have a, a place where everyone's religious and maybe it's not necessarily a Makam Torah, a place of Torah. What, what a place of Makam Torah means, it means that a, people are growing. Are you in an environment where you are growing? You have the ability to grow. You're with like-minded people who are striving for something. So if that's our understanding of a Makam Torah, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a, a city that everyone is very religious. It doesn't have to be that. It could be a place, a group of people where, you, where they want to grow in Torah and learning and doing mitzvahs, right? You're, everyone could be different. And it's, um, that's a very beautiful thing because people, it's not, there's no stagnation. Right. As we mentioned, there's a there's a, life is like a ladder. Either we're going up the ladder or down the ladder. So when we have this environment of growth, it pushes us 
again, to reach our potential, to be the best we can be. And that's why Rabbi Yossi was so adamant about living in a place of Torah. You know, it could have been this man city was a, was a very religious place. There are a lot of good people there, but, but maybe he saw, right? As we said, they, they, they wanted him to live with us. They didn't want a leader that could push them to, to be the best they can be, to reach their potential. They were looking for someone to, to be a resource for them, to ask the advice, to say that, oh, this Rabbi Yossi ben Kisma, he's part of our city. They didn't necessarily want someone to tell them, grow, 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 be better, be better, improve, go for it, you could do it. So I think this gives us a little bit of understanding of number one is, what is a makam Torah, right? It's a place where people can grow and to strive. And in being part of a, a group of people that have these ideals are extremely beneficial for ourselves for that positive peer pressure, which is good, which can, we can make it easier for us to be the best we can be. And you know what? I, I, many, of, many of you might think, okay, I don't live in a place where maybe uh, there's, a, there's a big community, but you know, nowadays we have with modern technology, a person you know, can be part of, of a community of people who grow, even if they're not physically together, they could be together virtually. They can be together um, there's different programs people can join to strive in learning, to strive in doing mitzvos. So even if you're geographically in a place where there's not much Jewishly going on, it's still possible to make yourself to a certain extent to be part of a, 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 a network of Torah, um, to, to have that growth, environment of growth, where there's a focus to strive and to grow. And God willing, when we do that, we're able to have those positive influences to keep going to be better and better. Once we're talking about a place of Torah and what is a place of Torah and why it is important, I think we've got some understanding on that end. I, I just want to bring out, you know, for, for us, when we think about moving somewhere for living somewhere, right, just like when we buy a house, we look at we have an inspector come down and we take a tour of the house and we go down at nighttime and we go down during, you know, maybe hopefully we go down to see how it is in the rain and people are about to make a big investment. So they're going to make sure to do their due diligence to make sure that what they're about to do is a good choice. So when it comes to our spirituality as well, the place where we live should be also something we consider. And, and it doesn't have to be about just, picking a house where you're going to live, you know, this idea, which is a saviva, it's referred to in Hebrew as, a, as our environment, right? Environment. It's not just, uh, there's a spiritual environment we need to consider whenever we do something. So even if you have a house already and you're living somewhere, you, know, you, you don't, shouldn't think to yourself, okay, this doesn't apply to me because it does. It applies to every person, different choices that we make because we all make different decisions every single day, who we associate ourselves with, what people we, we, we connect with, um, where we go, who, you know, who we are affiliated with. So we should think to ourselves um, in the different decisions that we make and the different civivos, the different environments that we put ourselves in, we should also have, you know, just like we think to ourselves, you know, is it safe? Is it this? We, we check all these boxes off before we do something new or especially something new. 
say, is it something safe for me to do? Is it good for me to do this? Is it all the different things we think of? We should also think to ourselves, how is this going to be for me spiritually, for my neshama, for my soul? Is, it, is this environment going to hurt me or is this environment going to harm me? And I think everyone agrees that, you know, forget about physical environment, you know, thinking about if we go to a place that's unhealthy, right? If, if you go to a, uh, uh, some type of uh, nuclear waste site, you think 10 times before you would want to go down there because there's a physical environment that might be dangerous for you, right? But even on a, on, you know, I think everyone would agree that there are certain situations which we could be put in that are not healthy emotionally, right? If I'm next to certain people, it brings out certain bad aspects in, in me. If I'm next to a certain person, um, they bring me down. They, they right? We could agree that such a concept exists, and certain things happen like that. That when we're next to certain people, it causes certain things to happen. So it's not a, it's not a stretch, and I think it's self understood that when we're around different environments and different people, it can affect our spiritual lives as well, and it could affect our neshama as well. And it's something we should think about. Um, when we make different decisions all the time, how does it affect my neshama, right? My seviva, it's a new word. It's called environment, our spiritual environment. And it's something which I think one of the lessons that we could take from this Mishnah, because we see from Yosef ben Kisma the importance of being in a positive environment, in a good environment where you can grow, where you can be the best you can be. Another point which I wanted to bring out from this Mishnah is that we see that when this individual approached, when this individual approached Rabbi Yosef and Kisma, he said, Rabbi, Rabbi, I'm going to give you all the money in the world to come join us. You'll have tons of money. And the commentaries explain, like I said before, is that they, he was trying to tell him, he says, Rabbi, I'm going to give you enough money that you'll be able to open a, a, a show. You'll be able to start programs for the needy. You'll have the funds you need to accomplish the different things you might want to do to help people. It's all for the for its good intentions. It's gonna make people make things better. And there's a there's a there's a famous expression. The the road, I'm I'm, I'm gonna say it nicely. I'm not gonna say it. The road to Gehenna, which is purgatory, is paved with good intentions. That's a famous phrase. I, I said it nicely. People could put in the other word if they want, but the point is, is that many times people have very noble intentions that get derailed um, because, you know, everybody does have ego and does have Yitzhahara. That's the word. We have a Yitzhahara and Yitzhotov. We have a good inclination and evil inclination. And sometimes, you know, certain things get the best of us and we make, even though we start off with good intentions and, 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 and good ideas, it gets derailed. And Rabbi Yosef and Kizan was telling him, I, I don't need that right now. I don't need, you know, even though you're telling me I'm going to give a lot of money to charity with the money, um, you know, I, I don't need it. That's not what I need right now. That's not what's, that's not the most important thing to me. You know, you, people, sometimes they say, oh, if I had a lot of money, I'd give tons of charity and this and that and, and so on and so forth. You know, that's not the most important thing right now. The point Rabbi Yossi Ben Kissam was saying it is that true, we need to use our resources for people who are blessed with that, those resources, they should use it for good things. But for him who wasn't in the situation, he's like, I don't need that. That, that was a challenge he didn't necessarily want. And what he was trying to show is that the best thing a person could be doing with his time is to be learning and doing mitzvahs, is to be connecting himself to the Torah. That's the best thing. Now, obviously, there are, there are some 
you know, people have to make a livelihood and, and that is important. It's an obligation uh, each and every person has. That's important. But we should still have in our mind that we earn a livelihood, you know, to help ourselves serve God better. I mean, to say is, it's not a ends to a mean. It's a means to an end. Um, and what do we ultimately want to do with our time? It reminds me of this famous story with, or just like this uh, story they say, it's not a real story. It's like some type of um, legend where there was this man who lived on a, on a desert island. No, he lived on, he lived in a, on some type of island. And what he would do is he would fish every day. And one day this wealthy Wall Street executive sees him and he says, how much fish do you catch every day? He's like, I just fish enough fish to feed my family. And then after I feed my family, I have, um, I spend time with my wife. And then after that, I go play guitar with my friends. And then I just enjoy life. He's like, why don't you go catch more fish? And then, and then you could maybe have some more money to support yourself. He says, and then what? He says, well, then after you get some more fish, you could get some financing and maybe get some more boats and you'll catch even more fish. It's like, and then what will I do? He says, well, then you'll get a loan from a bank. You'll get some partners. You can maybe get some people to work under you and you'll have even more money. So he said, and then what will I do? He says, well, you could go buy a factory um, and go public on the stock market and you'll be a billionaire. It's like, and then what will you do? He said, well, you'll go fishing on the, you'll go fishing every day. Um, go home to eat supper with your family and then spend time with your wife. He's like, that's what I'm doing right now. So the point is, is that a lot of times in life, we are just in the rat race. We forget what we're trying, what our goal is for, what we're trying to work for, what we're trying to go towards. And I think a, another thought that can be conveyed from this Mishnah is this idea that what do we ultimately want to be doing with our time? If we had nothing else going on in the world, right? Obviously, we need to have outlets. It's very good to have an outlet and have a hobby, something that can relax you, I understand, right? I have, I like to go running. I like to do a certain, I like to read. I like to do certain things myself, right? But once we relax, so then what do we go towards then? Meaning because we're not just working to go on vacation, to work, to go on vacation, to work, to go on vacation. There has to be something more than that to life. And we know that the Torah gives us that guideline that ultimately we're here in this world to connect to Hashem, right? To connect to God, to fulfill our potential, to, to be, I guess, to be the best we can be spiritually and to, to do, to, to learn Torah, to do mitzvot. And um, we know as Jews, that's our mission. So we have this realization. Rabbi Yosem Kism is telling us that we have to know that the best thing we could be doing with our time after we had the vacation and we went to work and we are relaxed and we had supper and we're good, we're not hungry. We should always want to get back to that learning, to get back to doing something good because that's the ends, the means. Everything else is just means to get to the ends of Torah learning, which is really not an end. It's something which is constant. It's something constant throughout our lives um, because as long as we're here, we have a job to do. And it's only once we pass on to the next world is that job complete. So as long as we're here, we have the, the ability to connect to Hashem, to connect to God through Torah and do mitzvot. And that's what we're doing right now. So let's continue. Rabbi Yossi brought down different examples. And he said, 
that when a person passes on from this world, nothing comes with him. Not his money, not his gold, not his silver, not his Ferrari, nothing. And we know that just when a person comes into this world, they come with nothing. And when we leave, we also leave with nothing. There's a famous joke that said there was a man, very, very wealthy man. I'm not sure. It might, it might not even be a joke. It might have been a real story. There was a guy who was a very, very wealthy man. And after he passed away, he left in his will that he told his children, he says, I worked very, very hard throughout my life to be a wealthy man, to be rich. And what I would like you guys to do is to bury me with all my money. So the children being good children, they, they wanted to do what their father wanted, right? To, to bury him with his money. But at the same time, um, if they bury him with all his money, they're not going to have any inheritance. So what, how do they get themselves out of this dilemma, right? Obviously, this guy didn't learn this Mishnah ever, but what should the children do? So the children thought of a great idea. They took, when the father was buried, they took a check, they wrote it for the full amount, and they buried it with the father. But either way, the point is, is that when, when people, when we leave this world, we leave just the way we came with nothing. The only thing that comes with us is our good deeds and our Torah, our learning and our good deeds. That's what comes with us because that's really us. And you think about it for a minute. We say, we said over here in the, in the verse, it says, Liha Kesef, Liha Zav. Like God says, he says, mine is the silver, mine is the gold. And just the, it's a very important outlook for us to have that when it comes to our money and our resources, we have to look at it as that they are, it's, it's God owns owns it. We don't own it. You know, we don't own ourselves. We don't own our money. We don't own our, you know, it's, these are resources and blessings which God has given us to use. He has given it to us right now to use in a proper way. And if we have that outlook, it sort of changes our focus a little bit on, on that attachment to money because we know it's human nature that for us to, to give that money it is a hard thing to be part from that money. We work for it. Um, we probably worked hard for it as well. And it's not so easy to, to part from it. Everybody's like that. It's, it's maybe some people more and some people less. But if we have an outlook that it's like on loan to us from God to use it in the proper way. It makes it a little easier. And just to, to, um, to flip the coin a little bit to Torah and mitzvah. So we said that silver and gold is, is something which is not ours. It's, it's God's. And we're just have to use it properly. That's our job. But when it comes to Torah and mitzvahs, to the, the Torah that we learn and the mitzvahs that we do, the good deeds that we do, right? That could be, whether it be doing mitzvahs between man and man, doing mitzvahs between man and God, right? There's many different mitzvahs. So those are, those we actually own. God gave us the ability to own those Right, so you think about it. What do we really own? We really own the, the Torah and mitzvahs that we do because those are stay with us forever, 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 and ever. That stays with us for eternity. And we even see in the verses it says in Tehillim and Psalms, it says with um, Torasai. It says in in, in Psalms. One second. It says Ubi Torasa Yege and in his Torah, his Torah. He shall toil day and night. We see from the verses that we connect the Torah that a person learns and the mitzvahs that they do to them, that they get, they get to acquire them. So what comes out is that what's real is the Torah and mitzvahs, and what's not so real, which is just temporary, are the things that we think are real. You know, it's the money, the, the, our possessions, 
those aren't real because they're not forever. But the good deeds that we do and the Torah that we learn, those are forever. They're ours. It's part of us. And I think if we just have this outlook, it helps us a lot focus on what is important, what is not important, how we should use our money, how we should not use our money, and so on and so forth. Should we do mitzvahs? Should we not do mitzvahs? These, this outlook helps us keep things in focus and help us, us do the right thing. So one last question, which I wanted to just go into before we finish tonight, is, is why did Rabbi Yossi, right? We know in the story, Rabbi Yossi answers this man. And the first thing that he answers with him is he says, I'm, I'm, I'm from a place of Torah. And even if you offer me all the money in the world, I am not going to come because money is worthless to me. So the, the commentaries ask, is like, why did Rabbi Yossi have to go into a whole explanation and a whole digression about the worthlessness of money to him, right? Why did he have to describe it? He could have just answered the question. He said, come live with us. He says, no, I only live in a place of Torah, period. That will be the end of the discussion. Why did he feel it necessary to continue his statement and to show how money is not important, money is not for real, money... Right? Why do you have to bring that point out? So one of the answers that it's brought down, I saw that it's brought down in, in the um, Pirkei Ruvain, which is Ruvain Feinstein, he says as follows. This is that Rabbi Yossi wanted to show this man that he would not be bought. Everyone else has a price tag, but he would not be bought. His principles, what he believed in, were steadfast. We're not going to change. And his belief in the Torah was not going to waver, even if you, he gave him all the money in the world, because that's what was important to him. And just the lesson for us is that, you know, I'm just going to ask this as a question, is that do we have beliefs, things that we believe in with conviction? Is there something that we would stand up for, even if someone would give us all the money in the world? But because I believe this is correct, I'm not going to do it. And just think about it, because when we, what we strive to do is we strive to take the Torah, internalize it into our hearts. We try to put it into, you know, the things that we do, the Torah mitzvot, that even if someone would try to push our belief with money and even threats of death, right? We know that there's, in the Torah has situations, there's three cardinal sins that Normally, if a, if a person comes up to us, obviously, there's different, it's a very complex laws, but to make it very general, if, if, a, if a non-Jewish person would, you know, if a person would approach you and say, eat, not kosher, or else I'll kill you. So the halacha is, the law is that the person should eat the non-kosher and not give up his life. In a normal situation, obviously, if, if you know, there are exceptions when it's a time where Jews are being persecuted, so then, or it's a public setting, so then it, it, there might be a different ruling. But on a general sense, he doesn't have to give up his life. Now, there are three sins which the Torah says a person must give up their life for if they're threatened with death. The first one is idol worship, that if someone says commit idol worship or else I'll kill you, we have to get killed. If a person says commit adultery, or else you'll be killed, we have to get killed. If a person says murder somebody, or else get killed, we have to get killed. The idea is, is that the point is that in the Torah, we 
try to learn Torah. It's it's we, we try to do it that it should go into us, that we should have the ability to withstand uh, any type of pressure, any type of external force that could try to sway us. Because if something's correct and we believe in it, then it should be correct no matter what. It shouldn't make a difference if someone offers you money to change your opinion, because if something, if, if we know that this is what's truly right, so then no matter what, it's still right and nothing can change our opinion. So just something to think about, you know, as, as each individual, each person to themselves, like, do we have things that we truly believe in that like that, that we're willing to stand up for, even if it means losing money or even losing our life? And as, as Jews, we say in the Shema every day that, well, we believe in the Shema, which is one of the main prayers um, that we say. We say that we, we, we have in mind that we're willing to give up our lives for the for the dictum of for what the Torah says and the belief, believing in the Torah. And just something to think about. So with that, I want to finish today's Mishnah. I hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with a K at gmail.com. Everyone have a great day.